0: Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for those staying in here, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. So last week we started a series called, What is God's Will for Me? And I think this is a question that a lot of people ask through their life. What is God's will for me? Maybe in a general sense, for the direction of your life, for the, the greater sense. Last week we talked about his will for you is that you would be in relationship with him, that you would be saved. Because if you are not saved, you are lost in your sin, and you can't know and do God's will other than being redeemed and reconciled to him through a relationship with him and and throughout the coming weeks we're going to look at what i think most people mean when they ask what is god's will for me. We're going to look at various areas of our life where i think we're we're going to wonder what is god's will for this in my life. My god's will for this part of my life, And so looking at the calendar, kind of planning ahead, uh, most of the days that have any sort of significance, I'm trying to tie them to what's going on. And so today being Mother's Day, I thought it was a good day, and, and also celebrating a wedding yesterday, I thought today was a perfect day to look at God's will for your relationships. So we're going to look at God's will for your relationships, and we're going to start in First Samuel with this. And we're going to look at a couple of other scriptures as we go. But First Samuel is a book that we went through not too long ago, and doesn't feel very long ago to me, maybe it was a while, but First Samuel, was the we actually skipped that book, or that, that chapter, and started in really chapter 3 with the call of Samuel. Um, but I want to look at chapter 1, because we see a mother in Hannah, and we see some relationship dynamics that are playing out that I think are going to help us start as we go through this. So let's pray before we read Scripture today. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can look at your word, we can look at our lives and our hearts. And as we're looking for what your will for us is, Lord, as we look at what your will for our relationships are, God, I pray that you would convict us and lead us and guide us as we seek to follow you, as we seek to be obedient to you, that we would be people who honor you, that we do your will in the way that we relate to other people. And Lord, that when people make our relationships difficult that we would seek to engage with them in a way that honors and glorifies you God, I pray that scripture would be our guide today not our feelings not our emotions, but your word and what you would have us to do God I pray that we would respond however you lead us it's in Jesus name we pray amen and so I want to read through this chapter and it 's going to take a minute but I think it's important we 're going to look at this story of what's happening here. there was a certain man of Rerimaham Zophium of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I do not, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman for all along. I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. The woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to the house at Rama, And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord at the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may dwell and appear, so he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband said to, the, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And she, and when she weaned him, she took him up with her. "...along with a three-year-old bull, an epaph of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. They, then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and, said, and she said, "'O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I, that, that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord.'" As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and she worshiped him there. That's a long passage, but there's a lot that we can see and we can learn in this. I think it's really a case study on relationships and what is going on. So we see various people and various relationships in this story. And if we're looking at this chapter from who really the main character of this chapter is, it is Hannah, the woman that is married to Elkanah and has no children and is greatly grieved because of that. She's a distraught woman. This is very difficult for her, especially at this time and and in this world. Children were were kind of your badge of honor, especially as a wife. And then she is a co-wife with someone that has many children, who provokes her bitterly because of it. But we see Hannah is both helped by and hurt by those around her. And so we see the surrounding people in the story, the relationships that that she has. She has a relationship with the one that she loves, Elkanah, her husband. And we see that Elkanah is a very loving husband toward Hannah. He gives her a double portion when they go to make their sacrifices. And when she is afflicted, he comes and comforts her and, and expresses his love for her. We also see those who don't love us. We see Peninnah, a wicked companion, And really, this shows the problems with polygamy. The Bible is often descriptive and not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is Elkanah had two wives. And it's not endorsing and saying that other people should have two wives. And really, it shows the problems that happen here. Because even if he's trying to be the best husband that he can be, his love for Hannah makes Peninnah jealous. And her jealousy is taken out toward Hannah. And so she is wicked toward her. She provokes her constantly about the fact she has no children. Can you imagine that? Maybe you've experienced that in your life. The thing you are most insecure about, a person coming after and constantly reminding you, tearing you down because of the things happening in your life. So she has the one that she loves who builds her up, but also one that hates her, that brings her down. And we also see people that we are entrusted with. So Eli, the priest, the the one who's there, when they go to make the sacrifices, sees her and initially thinks that she's drunk because of the way that she's praying silently before the Lord. And he rebukes her in really kind of a kind way. Hey, you got to quit doing this. Put it away from you. She says, no, I'm pouring my heart out. And so he has been entrusted with her in this moment. There's a relationship. He didn't know her before. She comes into this place. She's in a vulnerable position. And what does Eli do? He listens to her. He hears her. And in a way, blesses her and says, may the Lord grant your petition. And so a person that's in a vulnerable moment, he's been entrusted with, whatever he says could make a big impact in her life. And he blesses her. And then we see who Hannah has been entrusted with. Right, she, made, she, she was praying to God saying, if you give me a child, I will give him to you for all the days of his life. And so Samuel is born. and She's entrusted with him. And, and while the time while he's weaning and while he's a baby, she takes care of him. But at the right time, she gives him to the Lord. She fulfills her promise. She, she keeps with her relationship with God, And that's the other most important relationship in this story is obedience and having a right relationship with God. And so as we look at this, as we see all the dynamics in this, I want to break down, because as you're listening to that, you may have heard or thought of things and seen things, roles that you've played in your life, right? If you're married, you can see this idea of being a, a person who's married and wanting to love your spouse, wanting to comfort them. Maybe you've, you've been in a marriage and, and, and you've been comforted by someone. or Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've had people in your life who are coming against you and you don't know how to handle it. Maybe you have people that you've been entrusted with or, or someone took care of you when you needed help. Maybe they didn't. What does God want us to do in the different relationships we have? We all have various roles in various relationships and that's what I want us to look at. The first thing we're going to see is that relationships are essential, powerful gifts from God. Relationships are essential, powerful gifts from God. So let's first look at why they are essential. In Genesis 2.18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. When God created man, he did not create mankind to be in isolation. We are people that rely upon one another. At the very least, especially toward this time, people relied upon one another for, survive, for survival. And we've seen how we still rely upon people for survival. It's easy to have a feeling of autonomy, and it's easy to feel like you can do things on your own. But we look at things like what happened in COVID, and when things in the supply chain start to break down, when those relationships aren't functioning the way they did normally, there's suddenly things missing from your shelves. There's suddenly problems that are happening in the world around you. And it's the same way in our relationships. We need relationships because that is how God created us to interact. We can also see this by the, the way that people are punished. In prison, which is already punishment, what do they do to the people who are being especially bad within prison? Solitary confinement. The punishment for the people who are already being punished is to put them alone, to not let them be in relationship, not let them be around people. And it's a greater punishment than the one they're already feeling. From the moment we are born, we need people to come into our lives and to help us. Imagine this. Imagine a baby that no one helps. What happens to that baby? It has to have someone come alongside it and take care of it. And at the end of our lives, it's also evident there, that as we near our time, at the end of our time on this earth, we need people to care for us, to take care of us, to help us. It's the middle part that I think sometimes we, we like to fancy ourselves as people who are independent and don't need other people. This idea simply masks the reality that we were created for community. Some people like to think of themselves as loners, but they don't need anyone else. It's a truth that people can run from, but it is a truth that is essential to become all that God has created to be. You need to realize and recognize that you have to have relationships in your life. You were created for community, to build others up and to be built up by others. This is why relationships are so powerful. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, "...do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals." We see very similar to that in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we're created for relationships, but those relationships are extremely powerful. The people you are around will influence the people you become. You've probably heard it said, if you want to see your future, look at the people that you're around. It doesn't mean that you cannot or should not associate with people who aren't perfect. If you did that, you'd be alone. Rather, it means you need to choose your community, the people that are investing in you very carefully. Who are the people who are influencing you? Who are the, what are they influencing you toward? We are all being influenced and changed, whether we like it or not. To deny that would be like going outside into the hot sun and saying, I'm not going to get burned. I did that one time. We went on our fir- Every year on spring break, we would go to Florida for baseball, and we would play in a tournament down there. It was the best week of the year because you've been playing in 50-degree weather, and you go down, and it's nice and 75, and, and it feels great. But the first day we got down there one year, we all went to the beach, and we were going to play a little volleyball together. I was like, oh, we're only going to be outside for like 30 minutes. I'll be okay. I had a very hard time playing baseball that week because I got severely sunburned. And so associating with people who are doing things that you know they should not do and they know they should not do, associating with people who are not leading you toward God and not thinking that those people are going to have an impact on you is foolish. We have to be aware of the way people around us influence us. I have seen firsthand people coming from identical situations having very different results because of the people they became friends with when they were young people from the same household going and living productive and wonderful lives and others living in jail because of the decisions they made. And the relationships they had played a major part in that. We should also recognize that not only are they powerful and essential, but they are gifts from God. Relationships are a conduit of God's mercy and grace. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. I want you to think about when you're in trouble, right, first thing you should do is turn to the Lord. But who, what else do you do when you're in trouble? When you're having difficulty? We probably all have or should have someone we know we can call. A friend, a family member, your spouse, someone you know, man, I have had the worst day of my life and I need to talk to somebody about it. Those people are there for you because they are a blessing from God. They are a conduit of His mercy and His grace where they can encourage you, lift you up, and show His grace to you. They are also God's method of development. This idea of going and making disciples is through relationship with one another. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Nearly every single thing that you've ever learned... You learned from someone. You can think of the people who taught you how to do things, how they taught you the skills that you know. And even the people that that are really good at figuring things out on their own, someone taught you how to figure things out. Someone taught you how to think critically. And so we all learn from others. That's how we grow and that's how we're built up. And so relationships are essential, powerful gifts from God. But they're not simply that. They are also a responsibility. Relationships are a vital and important responsibility. We've been talking about everything relationships are for you. They are good for you. They are blessings for you. They can build you up. They can tear you down. But relationships are also and primarily a responsibility for you. Relationships have great power not only to do good, but to do harm. And now we're talking about the way that we interact in relationships. James 3, 9 through 10 says this With it, uh, the, the tongue, we're talking about the tongue here. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. We think about how important those times when someone steps in 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 the middle of your difficult situation, when you are having, you feel like you're at the end of your rope, you feel like all things are lost, and that person steps in and builds you up. They remind you of God's love for you. They remind you of what God wants you to do, what God has for you, what he's already done for you. And we also remember what happens when you step in at the wrong time. And we see this perfectly in Hannah's story. Peninnah goes with Hannah to make a sacrifice. She goes in and she makes her offering to the Lord and turns right around and berates Hannah for having no children. In the same way, we see Eli, who doesn't even know Hannah, thinks she's a drunk woman. May the Lord grant your petition. The difference the words you say make in people's lives... I would venture to say that every person in here has moments, words that are ingrained in your brain, whether the person that said them thought they were vital or important or not, that have shaped in many ways the person you are today. Maybe it was what they said or it was what they didn't say. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. The words we say will help tell people, and reveal to people who we think they are. And in, and in turn, will change the way they view themselves. And when we frame this and we realize the power of this, that we are supposed to be, as Christians, people who are leading people to God, and we speak to them as though they are worthless, we are making them to think they are worthless when really they are of great value. A sinner may be needing to be redeemed by God if they're lost. A Christian needing to be in right relationship, to to be obedient. But what have we done? We have pushed them from God through our words rather than pointed them toward him. So they have the power to hurt. Words have the power to hurt. And, And we have the power to hurt in our relationships. We also have the power to help in our relationships. This is why are responsibility It's very powerful. Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When I read this verse, there is one story from the Bible that comes to my mind immediately. Jonathan and David. And so when David, right, David who has fought Goliath, triumphs over Goliath, and he is leading and is a leader in the kingdom of Israel under King Saul... Saul becomes paranoid. His relationship with God is out of skew, which is important. If your relationship with God is not right, you cannot expect your relationship with people to be right. And we'll get to the inverse of that later. His relationship with God is out of skew, and so his relationship with people becomes out of whack, and it becomes completely different from what it was. And so he he becomes paranoid and thinks David is after him, begins to persecute David. And who is the one who helps deliver David from his hand? Jonathan. Saul's son, in the same book later, helps deliver David from people who seek to do him harm. Do you know who the people who were seeking to harm him were? Saul, but the people who were going to come after him on Saul's behalf? People who had fought alongside David. We've all seen... When friends are fair-weather friends, and when things are good, things are good, and when things are bad, they turn against you. But a good friend can stick closer than a brother, and that's what we see in Jonathan and David. And so the question I really want you to ponder today, this is the, the main point of this, is what relationships have you been entrusted with? If, you've been, if you are married, your marriage is, a, is probably one of the primary relationships you've been entrusted with. That is a closer bond and union than any other bond or union that you should have in this world. Now, notice I said should. There are people that place other relationships before their marriage, and that's, that's problematic. This is someone that has given you their heart, that has trusted you, that you are bonded with. The Bible says the two become one. You have been entrusted with that relationship. What about children? This is another thing. These are people that would not be here outside of you. How are you dealing with your relationship with your children? What about friendships? Willing relationships you enter into. Are, how are you dealing with your friendships? Your family relationships? And whatever other relationships, work relationships, any other relationship, what relationships have you been entrusted with? I want you to think through that. And I want to ask you this question. How are you doing in those relationships? Now, how are you doing in those relationships? Those relationships may not always be good all the time. And the likelihood is they probably won't be. But how are you doing in those relationships? Because those relationships you are in are your responsibility. They're they're responsibility too. But you can only worry about how you respond these relationships are your responsibility. They're essential, powerful gifts from God that you have the responsibility of handling appropriately. So the question I want us to work through is how are you doing in that? And so in our relationships, we need to avoid the spirit of Cain. So what do I mean by that? In 1 John three eleven through 15, it says this, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. Brothers, that the world hates you because we know we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here's the kind of the the test we can do to see this. How do you respond to bad things in your life? Starting with a very similar situation to Cain. If you are like Cain and you experience rejection because of your poor choices, where do you place the blame? There have been many situations where I in my life or in other people I've dealt with, we have to all acknowledge we've been like this, where we have a bad situation... And if we're honest with ourselves, the problem is what we have done to get there. If you see a person that's in the middle of despair because of the things, the decisions they've made, and they say, why is this happening to me? That is the spirit of Cain. That is what Cain, when I say the spirit, I'm not saying like a a spirit that possesses, but the same attitude, the same mindset, He takes an offering to God, and it's rejected. Where does he place the blame? Well, if my brother did not show me up, I would have been accepted. And so he murders his brother. It should motivate you to change. It should. If you have this attitude, if you have this mindset that when you do bad things, other people are to blame, it should motivate you to change when you realize that you're wrong. Genesis four six through seven says this. The Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? <clears throat> if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. It should not cause you to hurt others." Genesis four eight through ten says this. Cain spoke to his brother to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to him, where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying up to me from the ground. Here's the reality. You don't have to murder someone to be guilty of, of doing the same things that Cain does. What did, what did it say in 1 John? Anyone who hates is a murderer. And that, that equals what Jesus said in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount that if you have hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. It's the attitude we have because the tongue, the words we say, can sting and be just as destructive at times. Not, not just as destructive, but extremely destructive in people's lives. So here's where I want to go even further than that. That's when people hurt you. That's when, well, that's when you've done things wrong, okay? That's when, not when people have hurt you. That's when you have caused your bad situation like Cain did. But when you've been hurt by others, how do you react? Because we see a good example in Hannah. Never once did, she, did it describe that she retaliated against Peninnah. Never once did she come against her or seek to undercut her or seek to do any of those things, but she went where? To the Lord. You should seek healing when people hurt you. Now, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying that you allow yourself to be abused and harmed, but if there is restoration possible, that is what you should seek in your relationship. We think about what God has done for us, and we'll get to that more specifically, but we should seek healing, not retribution. We should not seek to hurt, in turn, hurt others. I want you to think about how, how that looks. So, have you ever had a child that, that hurt their foot? Like, I'm saying like a tiny little cut. And what do they do? They just kind of limp so exaggeratedly. Like, there's not really a problem. But what happens? This hurt that they've had is now present and aware and influencing everyone around them. Everything we see is that when people are hurt and they don't deal with it properly, that hurt goes out to everyone else. There's a saying that I I believe is certainly true. Hurt people hurt people. Right? What do we see? It's it's horrible statistics, but people that are victims of abuse in many cases become abusers themselves. Because when hurt is not dealt with, it is not taken to God, it is not dealt with in a way that God would, would have it where there's healing and restoration, that hurt only has to come out toward others and so we should not seek when we are hurt to in turn hurt others but in whatever ways to seek healing and restoration and sometimes that means that because the bible says as far as it depends on you live at peace with all people sometimes the most peaceful option is to not be around certain people we have to recognize that and understand that but that's not the first part of it if at all possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with all people If you act out in relationships out of hurt or to hurt, that is sinful. If we react because we've been hurt, or we react to hurt, it's sinful. We should react instead, instead of the spirit of Cain, let us seek the spirit of Christ. Philippians 2, 3-4 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we should seek to live like Christ did and love one another. So, what is Christ's example that he set for us? This, This passage, if you expand it, talks about the example of Christ's humility that Christ laid aside glory and took on flesh, that Christ was a servant, that Christ went to the cross. And as a result of that, he's been glorified, given the name that is above every other name. And so, how do we follow that example in our relationships? We lay aside our rights, whatever we may actually even be entitled to. Being right doesn't mean you have the right to cause harm to others. So, we lay aside our rights, we bear one another's burdens, we serve one another. We suffer with and for one another, and the result of this is ultimately our glorification with Christ. But as we walk through our relationships now, our God's will for us is that we would follow Christ's example in how we deal with one another, that we bear with one another, that we're quick to look at ourselves rather than to look at others and see how we need to interact with them. And so if you're listening to this sermon and you, you're, you've thought to yourself, "Man, I sure hope so-and-so is listening." this sermon was for you. The only part who we can control in our relationships is ourselves. When we love in the way that Christ has called us to, He will work and convict and move in the hearts of others. There is nothing that we can do to force someone to act the way they should. There's nothing we can do to force someone to be kinder. There's nothing we can do to force someone to live like Christ calls them to. Do you you know what we can do? We can be obedient in how we respond. We we, We have to make sure that we take the plank out of our eye before we go looking for specks. Because there are times when it is appropriate to edify and to call out sinful behavior in people but we must make sure we're coming from a place of seeking to disciple and edify rather than to respond to what has been done to us. Like if I walk into a situation and I see someone yelling at and abusing someone verbally, if as a third party I have no problem saying, you shouldn't be talking like that. The person involved even should have a place you need to calm down, but making sure that the way we approach our relationships is focused on making sure we are following Christ and then we respond in a way that honors Him. And so today as we come to this time of invitation, I want to challenge you and ask you, what do you need to do to obey God's will in your relationships? Think again of those relationships that God has entrusted with you. How are you doing in those relationships? Are there avenues, are there ways, are there things you should do that would honor Him to build toward reconciliation and restoration and healing in those relationships? Are there places where you've been entrusted with relationships that maybe it's not bad, but you've been neglecting building up as you should? Are there people you need to encourage, to lift up, to give a call and, and say, how can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? What ways, what things does God would God have you do what ways can you model what Christ has done for us to others? Because when you do that, when you are a truly good husband or wife, when you are a truly good parent, when you're a truly good friend, what you really do is point people to Jesus in the way that you love them. And the hope is, is that when you encounter lost people in your relationships, it becomes a way that you're able to point them to the most important relationship they could ever have which is Jesus and so this morning if you don't have a relationship with God you won't be able to have the relationships that you should have or that God wants you to without first having a relationship with him understanding that the reason Christ laid down glory took on flesh and went to the cross was because of your sin the things that you do that are disobedient to him that he loves you enough to do that while you were still a sinner So if you have not responded to that today, the free gift of salvation, I would challenge you to do that. And if you have, how are your relationships this morning? What would God call you to do to better honor him today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can look at your word, and we can see what your will for our relationships is. And God, I pray that if anyone does not have a relationship with you, the most important relationship we can have, that today would be the day they would turn and repent and believe in what you've done, that they would acknowledge their sin, they would believe in what Christ has done and confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that you would help us that our, our believers that have relationships that you've entrusted with us with in our lives, you would help us to live in a way that glorifies and honors you that we would just be a beacon of light, that we would love one another and build each other up. And God, I pray for those here that have difficulty and broken relationships and in difficult relationships that they want to see healing in. Lord, I pray that you would grant their petition, that there would be restoration and healing and that you would work and move in ways that it is evident that only you can do what has been done. And God, I pray that you would just Move within us, move within our church, and help us to seek you above all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.